we are going to be starting today a new little tiny mini-series that I'm uh, going to entitle Pillars. And uh, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we are going to look at some of the pillars of the church, people historically who have been, the church has been built upon. And what we're going to do in four weeks, week one, we're going to look at Old Testament pillar, then we're looking at a New Testament pillar, then we're going to look at a, a pillar from church history, and then we're going to look at a contemporary person who's becoming a pillar of the church. And it's my hope that we're going to repeat this series um, every single year, four weeks. So we're just constantly uh, keeping in front of us the people that are the models for us of, of, of what God builds his church upon. And it's my hope that as we do that, we're going to learn from them, and we're also going to be inspired by them. So today, what we're going to start with is we're going to start with an Old Testament pillar. And um, as I thought about that, it just immediately came to my mind who we should do right now, and it makes sense in just a moment, that if you look at the Old Testament pillar, I want to talk about Noah. And for sure, we could say this, Noah, um, as a pillar, uh, is a pillar for one reason, simply because if it wasn't for Noah and his three sons and their wives, we wouldn't be here. And so God literally built the world or rebuilt the world on Noah and built the faith on, on Noah. So we're going to talk about that. And so I think Noah just stands out to me as I think about a pillar. Um, he stands out for good, um, especially in a time of chaos and uncertainty. And so we all know we're kind of in a time like that right now. So it seems so fitting for us to think about as a pillar, what can we learn from, how can we be inspired by um, Noah? And I'm going to imagine most of you listening this morning, you know, you really do know uh, the, the story of Noah, that um, God looked at the world, um, you know, thousands of years ago, and he looked at mankind, and this was God's conclusion. The world is unfixable. So God told Noah to build an ark, a boat. And that God caused animals to come to that boat. And they came in the boat and he stored food in that boat. And they went inside the boat and it said God closed the door. And then God caused the, world to rain, caused the rain um, on the world. And it said the, the, the floodgates were opened and the world was destroyed except for Noah, his three sons, and their wives, and, and Noah's wife. Um, and God did that, that at the end, he put a rainbow in the sky to say, hey, I'll never flood the earth again. And God did all that in order to start the world over. Now, I want you to think about something. Isn't it interesting that I can just, what I take, 30 or 40 seconds to summarize um, the, the events in Noah's life? And that I could have you right now, maybe you have this in your house, go get a children's Bible of, of the story and look up, open up the Genesis and see the story of Noah. And what you would see in most of your illustrated children's Bibles will be this really cute little picture of a nice little ark. And there's probably an elephant there and a giraffe, always a giraffe with his head sticking out of the ark. And little birds flying by and Noah with a smile on his face. And they're depicting um, this, this event where they're all riding along on the good ship Noah um, through, the, through the storm. But let's think about it for a minute. This was the most horrible, destructive, massive event that has ever taken place on planet Earth. 
everything was wiped out except for eight people and a handful of animals, like say an ark full of animals. It was all done in, in order for God to then start from scratch. And this has to bring up a question for you and for me. Why? Why would God go to such extremes to, to do all this? Why, and, and, and beyond that, why would God choose Noah? What made Noah stand? And what made God made Noah a pillar in the midst of this time that when God go, chose to go to these extreme measures, that he chose to then choose Noah in the middle of it? So first of all, then, let's think of that first question. Why would God have taken such extreme action? Well, grab your Bible. Maybe your kid's Bible we just mentioned. Open up to Genesis, the very beginning of your Bible, chapter 6. And let's see what the reality was of the time in which Noah lived. So Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animal to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Look what it says here. It says, the Lord saw the wickedness of mankind and that every intent of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually. And then verse 11 adds, And the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now let's remember, God had created the world wonderful and good. He had placed Adam and Eve in the garden where they lived in the innocence of a world that was without the corruption of sin. But they chose to listen to Satan instead of God and they welcomed the corruption of sin into their lives. And that corruption increased and affected mankind until it got to the breaking point. And that's the point we find where God and Noah are interacting. That God looked at the world filled with violence and he looked at the world full of corruption where he says this, the thoughts of the heart of man was only evil continually. And God looked at mankind and he realized it's unfixable. That things had got too bad, they were too far gone, and there was no way it could be turned around. And so God brings Noah. And I want to give you a little aside from that for a minute. Just a little thought, because I know as I'm reading this, some of you are looking at the verses just before, or know the verses that are just before, and you're saying, and wasn't there something else going on at this time? And, and there was, that many scholars believe that the world was so horrible for another really kind of bizarre reason, that there was, the, the, they had this idea from Scripture, and I'll explain it in a second, that fallen angelic beings had been having sexual relations with human females, and they were corrupting the human race. So the flood was God's way of actually saving mankind from this 
this bizarre kind of corruption that was on the earth. And so just look at the verses just before what we read. Look at chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and, and look what it says. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, this is a really interesting theory about the Nephilim. It mentions Nephilim here. Um, being the result of union between fallen angels and mankind. And it's quite possible that these theologians are correct in the world, um, and, and that, would give, that would give us a lot more understanding as we say why, as to why God had to take the extreme measures that he had to wipe out this, this new corrupted race where humanity and angelic beings were, were intermarried or inter, interreacting. And so it's just food for thought as we think about why. Why would God have to do it? Well, we do know this. Whether or not that is the case, God was so grieved in his heart that it says in verse 6 that he was sorry that he had created mankind. Can you imagine that? God was so grieved that he was sorry that he had mankind. So he knows that he must stop the corruption. He must stop the violence. He must stop the perversion. And he could have, because he's God, just wiped out all of humanity because he's the creator and he can do whatever he pleases. But we need to remember something about God. God is love. And God loves mankind. And what did God want to do? God wanted to rescue mankind. He wanted to redeem mankind. So he chose to give mankind a fresh start. And you think about it, how did he do that? He chose a man. He chose a person. And as we look through the pages of Scripture, this is something that we find over and over and over again in Scripture. When God is attempting to rescue mankind, he chooses a person. He chooses a Moses or a Noah or an Esther or a Paul or an Isaiah. Or, of course, he chooses Jesus. And what we know from church history is that sometimes people listen and sometimes people don't listen to the one that God chooses. So in this situation, God looks across the landscape of all corrupted humanity and one man stands out from all the rest. And it's this man, Noah. Look what it says about Noah, chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Wouldn't you love God to say that about you? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 9, and these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. What an amazing statement. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. I don't know about you, but I find this to be a completely amazing statement. Somehow Noah, living in the midst of a culture that was the worst 
it could ever be in the history of humanity lived in such a way that he was noticed by God. That he was that much different from the other people around him in society. And I just think of that. I think of the, I imagine the strength of character that it must have took to live differently in the midst of that world. He had to stand alone. He had to be that much different. He didn't act like the culture around him. And I think for us that Noah needs to be the poster child of for every one of us in our world today. You know, none of us would disagree that our culture is a mess. Maybe not the same mess as theirs, but it's a mess nonetheless. And, and we have violence, and we have perversion, and we have all the, the issues and the, and the horror that they would have been experiencing back then. And yet Noah shows us that it is possible to live above the culture. To live for God when seemingly no one else around you is. And that had to be how he felt. And some of you know what that's like. To feel like I'm the only one walking for, with the Lord. Well, no one knew exactly what that was like. So what was it about Noah as he stands alone, as he rises above the culture? What was it about Noah that made him stand out? That made him a pillar upon which the, 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 all of human race would be built upon and the church would stand upon. Without Noah, there's no church because humankind came from Noah and his, and his children. So what was it about Noah that made him stand out? Why would God look at him and say, and then there was Noah? Well, verse 9 gives us the answer. It says, Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. Now, it doesn't give us very specific things here saying Noah did this or Noah didn't do that. But what it does give us, it gives us very clear things that defined the parameters of Noah's life. And I think these three explain exactly why Noah was a pillar. So let's think of these three. The first one is this. It says, Noah was a righteous man. Now, what can that mean, righteous? I think sometimes we think righteous means perfection. But it can't mean perfection. We think of the righteousness of Christ. We say that's perfect. But it can't mean that in this situation because no one is perfect. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, quoting from, in the New Testament, quoting from the Psalms in the Old Testament, says there is none righteous, no, not one, in the sense of being perfect. There's no one perfect. He's comparing that to Christ, who is perfect. He says there's, there's no one perfect. So what in this Old Testament situation does it mean when it says Noah was righteous. Well, usually in the Old Testament, the way the word that's translated here, righteousness, is used is it means good. Noah was righteous means he was a good person who would have kept the moral laws of God. Now, we didn't have the law yet, but the moral law of God, what is good and what is bad, God has pushed in the heart of man. And Noah would have kept the, the moral law. Noah, Noah being righteous did what was right. That's the key here. He did what was right. He was a good man who lived according to God's standard of behavior. And in this context here, I believe that this is, because we're going to see as we go on, this is pointing particularly to the things that Noah did. That he must have cared for others. He must have been kind. He must have been generous. He must have been helpful. He must have lived a life hungering after God. And it says that God took notice. 
Now, he was, so he's righteous. He did the things to follow the moral goodness of God. But it doesn't stop by saying he was just righteous. It also says that he was blameless in his time. And this has, has to do with, um, with not so much him doing good, but rather what he didn't do. There was nothing he did that others could blame him for. Where righteousness is, these are the things that I do. Blameless is there, no one can tell me, no one can say, oh, look at Mark, he did that. He did that wrong. There was nothing to blame him for. Where righteousness is about what he did, blameless is about what he didn't do. He didn't engage with everyone else around him doing the shameful, hurtful, violent, evil things that they did. That, that had been um, inc- incredibly, had to be incredibly difficult in a society that was totally given over to sinfulness. And I think this has a lot to say to us today. It wasn't, you know, that long ago, in my opinion, my experience, that when someone said they were, you used this term, you say, I'm a born-again Christian, that they, were, they, they acted different than the culture around. Matter of fact, when I came to Christ and I was born again when I was in my, in my um, early 20s, the people I worked with thought there was something wrong with me because I acted so much different. Matter of fact, my closest friends, they wanted to do an intervention for me and have me see a psychologist or a psychiatrist because they said, Mark, no one should be that happy all the time. Something's happened to you because I was different than the culture around me. That's always been the case for people who said, I'm all in with Jesus. We're different. But in my opinion, and I can't say that, that I can tell you this for sure, but in my opinion, that doesn't seem to be the case so much anymore. And I think maybe the reason for it is, in an effort to befriend people who don't know Christ, um, hopefully to influence them for Christ, and that's a very good thing, that many people in Christianity have begun to follow the standards of our culture rather than the, cult, rather than the standards of God. And I see that, I think that's in, in my life of 30 years of pastoring, I see that's happened, that transition's happened a lot in our culture. But I want us to think about this in light of Noah. Think about it. Noah was noticed by God because of what he refused to be involved in. Oftentimes we think of that positive, what Noah did, but Noah was noticed by God because of what he didn't get involved in. You know, just a couple days ago, Suzanne pointed out to me a Facebook post by a person who claims that they're a Christian, and they probably are. I have no reason to believe they're not. Um, they're from this community, but they're not from our church, and Suzanne knows the person. And she, she was so upset by it, she showed, she showed me the Facebook post. And the post was about our recent election, our statewide election, and, and how um, COVID-19 has affected our election, and that one day we're having an election, next day we're not having an election, next day we're having an election, next day we're not having the election. And it was just, it was kind of chaotic um, before the election. And the person was writing about, writing about this, a post, and people were responding to it. And one of the people who say, claims they're a Christian literally said in the post that everybody from the other political party should be killed and that the country would be better off if everybody in that party was to be killed. And they weren't doing it, ha ha, let's do this. It was very clear. They were saying, I wish 
they were all dead. You know, that's happening right now. People who say they're, they're Christian people. And Suzanne and I were talking about this, and, and this was our thought. How much must that grieve the heart of God? How much must that hurt the heart? It talks about in here that God's heart was grieved because of how his creation acted. And we're looking and saying, how much must that grieve the heart of God? Christian people engaging in such hate and violence, and I think it's violence. You say, well, they didn't do anything. But Jesus is very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that, that the act, actions of your life come out of the abundance of your heart. And you wish that everybody was dead. They're saying you have a violent heart that wish that others would just die. Church, if, if God noticed that, no, that Noah did not do the kind of stuff as his culture, don't you think that he notices when we do do this kind of stuff? And as I was preparing this, this, this one thought just came to my mind that I think is the, the greatest question I could ask you and I can ask myself today is, what are you doing that you won't want God to notice? What are you doing? What are you engaged in? What am I engaged in that we wouldn't want God to take notice of? Noah didn't do those things. Noah stood out as a pillar because of what he did. He was righteous. And that was positive. And what he didn't do, he was blameless. He didn't do the negative things of the culture around him. So he did the right things. He didn't do the wrong things. And then there's one more thing that the Spirit inspired the author to write here that made Noah stand out. Verse 9 again. And it says... Noah walked with God. This is only said about one other person in the Old Testament, and that was, was Enoch. And Enoch just, all we know about this says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. That's all we know. How, wouldn't you love that to be the storyline of your life? Mark walked with God, and God took him because, because God loved him or God wanted him around that much. You know? So Noah, like Enoch, walked with God. Now, if I was writing this, and I'm not trying to say I'm in any way challenging the Holy Spirit and how he does stuff, but I don't think the order was intended here. But if I was writing this, I believe that I would change the order of how this verse was written because Noah walked with God. I would write it this way. Because Noah walked with God, he was righteous and blameless. Because it was, it, it, his righteousness and his blamelessness had to come out of his relationship with God. It was his relationship with God that made him different. It made him righteous and blameless because it was the outflow of his walk with God. Why else would he say, I'm not doing those things and I am doing those things? It was because he understood in his heart what a person walking with God would be like. And the things that made Noah stand out in a, in a world gone wild was his heart for God. Noah had an, an established ongoing, real-life relationship with God. And think about this. That relationship, this is so important, was in place and healthy before the floods came. The relationship, the walk with God, was in place and healthy before the floods came. And it was because of his established relationship with God that God spoke to him then 
and rescued him and his family from the danger. And think of this, mom and dads. His children and his wife were saved because of his walk. It didn't say Mrs. Noah was righteous and blameless. It didn't say Shem, Ham, and Japheth walked with God. It said Noah walked with God. Think of the, 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 what happens when we walk with God, how it affects other people around us. And friends, this is such an important principle for every single one of us. For us to have an established relationship with God, an established walk with God before problems arise, and then you will have Him to rely on during the time of difficulty. Friends, if you've been overly anxious during this COVID-19 outbreak, if you've been unusually you know, fearful, I would say this, that's not God's plan. And I say this, the reason for that, and I'm not being judgmental, I'm just trying to be helpful. The reason for that is if you had a, a solid, ongoing, lively walk with God before the COVID outbreak, that reality would carry you through the outbreak. And I don't mean that judgmentally. What I mean is it can be different today. That you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be filled with anxiety when you have an ongoing, solid, daily walk with the Lord who holds tomorrow in his hand. That's what Noah had. He had, he had this walk with God that resulted in him being righteous and blameless. And when God said, guess what, Noah, the world's got too bad. I got to start over. Whether the Nephilims are part of it or not, I got to start over. He said, I'll take you. And Noah's like, okay, I'll just keep walking with you like I've been every day before. So when God shut that door and those rains came, Noah had that peace of God that surpassed all understanding because he walked with God. Church, who knows what's ahead of us? We have no idea. We don't know. You know, this outbreak might be over with in a month or two, and, and uh, we go on kind of as numerous, and we rebuild, our, we rebuild our economy, and things go on, and, and next year it's like, oh, remember the beginning of 2020. Who knows? Or, or this could be the beginning of something different. I'm not trying to be scary, but I'm saying it could be. We don't know. No one ever knows the future. But if you are truly walking with the Lord Jesus, then he will be with you during whatever storms may arise, whatever they are. What a beautiful assurance. What a source of strength and peace for every one of us. We can be like Noah, a corrupt generation, a world where for sure you look around and say people's hearts are just only given to evil continually, where unrighteousness rules and there's all kinds of things to blame. But we can be like Noah. We can live righteous and blameless lives because of the power of God within us. And we can walk with God. And then we have the strength to go through whatever storms that ever come our way. God might not build you an ark, but he does have a way of rescuing you and me from whatever trials come our way. You know, maybe you're watching this today. Maybe you go to Portview Church. Maybe you don't. And you don't have peace that comes from walking with Jesus. You can today. You can, in your bedroom, in your living room, wherever you are, in your car, you can stop, you can, you can get on your knees. You don't have to get on your knees, but I would. And you say, God, here I am. 
full of fear or whatever. And I absolutely need you in my life. I need you to come into my life. I need you to wash away my sins. And Lord, I've been walking this way. I've been walking every day of my life where I'm boss, I'm in charge. But for today, Lord, I recognize that, that you're really in charge and I want to change direction. I want to walk following after you. I'm going to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. And on this day, I want to walk with you from this day forward for the rest of my life. And I want to say about you, whatever your name is, fill in the blank. And I, so-and-so, Bill, Sally, John, walked with God. And you can invite Jesus into your heart right now. Right where you are, right now. Ask him. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to come into your life. But maybe you're here and you're watching today and you are a, you say, yeah, I've given my life to Jesus. But as I've talked about Noah, doing the right things, not doing the wrong things in his walk with God. You say, you know what, that one question you asked, Pastor Mark, what am I doing in my life that I hope God's not taking notice of? I would tell you this, if anything come to your mind, you need to repent. You need to do the same thing for a different reason of repentance. You need to say, I was walking this way and I know it's not honoring to God and I need to walk that way. And here's the amazing thing. You say, how can I do that? It's too hard. It's not. Because if you say yes to God, all of the power of God by His Spirit will enable you to live the kind of life God wants you to live. God is here because He wants you to live a life of freedom. He wants you to live a life of strength and a life of holiness. He wants that for you. It's a gift He wants to give you. And so today, don't wait till tomorrow. Say, Jesus, I want to change direction. And I want to get rid of the crud in my life. And I want to come back to you. Because I love you and I need you. Now there's a way we kind of make these things we're talking about really solid. That we say, I want to put some, some, something tangible to what I'm doing. And it's, it's how we celebrate communion together. It's a tangible way of saying yes to these things. And so hopefully, you've, like every week, you've got um, the elements of communion for you. And I want you to think about this morning. That today we're saying, I want to be real in my walk with God. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say I want to, I want to live righteously. I don't, want to live blame, I, I don't want to be blamed for anything. I want to walk with God. And if I know him, I want to say, God, I don't want any junk in my life that doesn't belong. And if I don't know him, I want to say I, can't, I want to welcome you in today. Well, communion, that's exactly what communion represents. We, hope we have bread that represents the body of Christ. Take the bread out. Go in your kitchen and bread. This is the representation of the body of Christ. And I think it's even more than that. I think there's incredible power. There's incredible reality when we come together for communion and we say, this is your body. There's something spiritually powerful about understanding we take communion together. Because Jesus is the one who said, this is the way you remember who I am and what I do. So take the bread and hold it in your hand this morning. And if you're the person who, who doesn't know the Lord, you can do this whether you have bread or not, but do this. You can say, I want to receive you into my life. 
And if you're a person who knows the Lord but says, I've drifted, or you're, you're saying, you know what, I don't think I'm drifting all that much, but I just need the strength and the power of God to walk through the storms that are going on right now or just to walk through today because the storms might be coming. Noah could do that. He could walk through it because his walk with God has taken us through. Jesus, I thank you that you took your, your, your body was broken for us. Your body was broken for us. You gave your all for every one of us. And you said, Lord, your strength can become our strength. That we can welcome you into our life so that we can be the people you want us to be. And so, Lord, right now as we hold this emblem, the bread in our hand, we recognize that we need you. And we want to welcome you into our life with all of your strength and all of your power. So Jesus, right now we say, come and do what only you can do in our lives as we partake. Jesus then took the cup. He said it was the cup that represented the new covenant in his blood. And that's why it looks the way it does. We use, we use grape juice, some people use wine. And it's on purpose supposed to look like blood to remind us that Jesus poured it all out for you, but also remind us that Scripture talks about power in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That the life, life, the power of life is in the blood. And it's always been symbolic of saying that when we need God to do something that we can't do, we, we look to His strength and His shed blood. And this morning, and recognize there's all kinds of things you can't do in your life and God doesn't think you can do it he never wanted you to do it living a godly life walking with him he never meant for you to walk with him by your own strength it doesn't work that way he wants us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and that's what this is symbolic of the strength of the Lord and so this morning we're going to partake in this. What you're doing is you're inviting the strength of God into your life. So you can live the life that God is inviting for you that is the greatest life any person can ever live. A life of freedom in Christ. A life of peace in Jesus. And that's what he offers. He shed his blood so that we could live a life more abundant. So take the cup. Jesus, thank you that you shed your blood for us. You went all in. You gave it all that we could have the strength that we need to live the life that you called us to. So now, Lord, we invite you into our life in all your fullness. Pray, God, that we'd be transformed from glory to glory in your goodness. God loves you so much that he shed his own blood for you. He died on a cross for you and me. Don't ever believe anything different. He loves you and he wants the best for you. And I hope that Noah can serve as an example of the kind of life we can live in the midst of turmoil and turmoil. Next week we're going to look at James, a half-brother of Jesus. 
See what we can learn from him about that he is a pillar the church is built upon. What can we learn about him that can inspire us to be the kind of people God wants us to be? God bless you, friends. Look forward to worshiping with you again. Um, join us Wednesday night, 6.30, Facebook Live. Um, Suzanne and I will do a devotion, uh, Soul Care Minute. Um, this week we're going to, I think what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about what we think about, what we fixing our mind, our thoughts on things about. God bless you, friends. Know that Jesus is with you. You're not alone. And we're praying for you. If you need anything, reach out to the church. Call us, text us, and we'll do our best to help you where we can. Bring us into your time. God bless you. Give your family members a hug that are in the house with you. And tell them Jesus loves you. We love you.